agreement and, and by design. We're going to stay away from the specifics of the settlement. I would imagine that's part of the settlement. You don't spend a lot of time talking about the settlement in public, but we do want to talk about some other issues with Philip Holloway. Phil Holloway, you hear him on our sister station, WSB Radio in Atlanta, the mothership, as we like to call it, and you should seek out his podcast. Sworn is the podcast, S-W-O-R-N, Sworn. The podcast deals with true life crime stories. Phil Holloway, thanks for your time this morning. Happy to be here. Thanks so much, Tim. Sure. In terms of it, again, we, we don't get lost in the weeds of this case, but we look at this, and I want to, over the course of the next few minutes here, look at this in a much larger way. Just yesterday, another deadly officer-involved shooting, this one in DeKalb County. The GBI will come in and investigate, in all likelihood, as, as is more than often not the case, find out that the use of force was justified. Let's start there. What justifies deadly use of force? Well, in a nutshell, Tim, all police use of force, whether deadly or otherwise, must be looked at through the lens of what is reasonable. You know, when a police officer is involved in a shooting or even a mere arrest, you know, the Fourth Amendment is implicated. And, of course, the Fourth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution prohibits unreasonable searches and seizures. A police shooting, for example, certainly if if involves a death, that would be the ultimate seizure of a person. And so... The bedrock of the constitutional requirements is reasonableness. And in a nutshell, all police use of force must be reasonable under the totality of the circumstances. The law does not permit us the luxury of looking back through the 2020 lens of hindsight, Tim. It requires uh, investigators and people who are going back and looking at these things to look at them from the perspective of the officer on the scene in the moment. These are often fluid, dynamic situations, ever-changing, and oftentimes the officer has limited information upon which to make a split-second decision. So they don't have to be perfect, but police have to be reasonable. All right, but reasonable to me may not be reasonable to you. I mean, that, that sounds like a very subjective thing. How do we make it objective? Well, reasonableness, when we talk about the law is actually an objective standard. Basically, what the law expects us to try to do is to go and put ourselves in the position of a hypothetical, reasonable officer under the same or similar circumstances. And again, we can't use our subjective Monday morning quarterbacking lens. We've got to put ourselves in the shoes of a reasonable officer in the same or similar circumstances and basically ask the question, what would this hypothetical reasonable officer do under the same or similar circumstances? So it's an objective standard. All right, a brand new dynamic. Now, I say brand new. I mean, this is the world in which we live now. And I'm noting that you went through the police academy back in the 80s, and you have some training here, obviously, in this. Uh, Something that didn't exist back in the 80s that we deal with now, this new world of this universe of social media. Everybody out there has a phone which has a camera. Heck, the cops now more often than not have cameras themselves. That's what we see in the Taylor Salters case, the dash cam video, the body cam video, and so many of these other cases. That's new. What does that do? What does all of that do to the dynamic? Well, it changes a lot, really. And you're right. I, don't remind me. It was quite a long time <laughs> ago that I went to the police academy, and there was no such thing as a cell phone, let alone a you know instant video. In this age of social media, and I wrote about this on my blog recently at WSBRadio.com, so folks can check it out there uh, and on Twitter. Uh, but in this age of social media and near real-time access to, to cell phones and things like that, you know, law enforcement activity is 
just inevitably under in, intense scrutiny. And police work oftentimes is, you know, just boring and mundane and routine, but it's punctuated by moments of frequently just violence, okay? If you are going to arrest someone who doesn't want to be arrested, that may look like a violent encounter, whether anyone's hurt or not. You know, police work sometimes just has an element of force and violence associated with it. It always has. In in many ways, it's no different today. It's just that people see it more, and they see it more because everybody's got a camera in their hands. And this, I think, has a lot to do with this you know, Monday morning quarterback that we all too, we see all too often in, in police use of force cases nationwide. Um, people who don't understand necessarily the law, they don't understand how police work actually works. They, they see these videos and they see something that's really violent and they're like, oh, you know, that, that looks really bad. But when you break it down and you do a thorough investigation and, and you sort of take a step back and try to look at the forest for the trees, a lot of times this knee-jerk social media reaction uh, sometimes that we see is, is just wrong. Yeah, I have this thing, and Phil Holloway, Attorney Phil Holloway, I've said this. I said it about the Taylor Salters case uh, as we watch the video there and so many of these other things. I say this about video. It is almost always compelling. It is frequently far from conclusive. I think back to the very, I say the very first, one of the big first of these types of cases. Think back to the early 1990s, 92, I think, the Rodney King case out there in Los Angeles. Why we have video, and it's conclusive, and it tells us, and we see it, what it does doesn't show is what happened before, what happened after. There's a lot that video doesn't show besides what it does. That's correct. You're, you, I think you, I think you're precisely on point. And it goes back to this idea that you know, unless you are that officer in that moment, uh, making you know the decisions with what information that officer may have had uh, that's probably limited, it's really difficult to use one snippet of information. Now, video, don't get me wrong. I don't mean to say that video is useless because it's absolutely very helpful. And in many ways, it's it's taken police work forward in terms of, you know, the, the quality of services rendered because, you know, video keeps everybody honest. It keeps the suspects honest. It keeps uh, citizens who are interacting with the police sort of honest if they know their own video. And it, it keeps the officer honest because they know they're being videoed. So in many ways, you, you know, video is is very helpful but it is not the, the the final analysis there's always more to it and it's important to take a step back and and collect all of the evidence all of the information uh before we try to sort of monday morning quarterback what police do you, you, you remind me of a question that I, and i've been meaning to ask somebody who might be in a position to answer we'll see if he can i don't mean to put you on the spot here you're a lawyer you should know and if you don't we'll <laughs> we'll move on but what's the law about what a citizen can do i see these cases of where a citizen on the scene of something some police encounter with another citizen citizen whips out a cell phone starts recording the cop says put the phone away stop recording what's the law on that can the cop lawfully tell me to not do that uh, not really. The, you know, you can't interfere with police exercising their lawful authority. That that is a crime. But what police do, or what I do, or what you do out in the open public, well, it's just it's just out there. It's in the open public. So, just as a person has a right to watch what a police officer does out in public on a traffic stop, walking down the street, whatever, they also have the right to video that officer uh, for the most part. So. No, just because the officer doesn't want you to video them, well, that's just tough. You have a right 
to do it. Uh, you just can't get in the way. Uh, finally, let Phil Holloway go on this one now, because this is the advice I gave our son. This is the advice I give everybody. This is advice that would have applied potentially in the Taylor Salters case, the young man who was running away from him, or any other number of cases. I always say this about cops. When the cop tells you to do something, do it. The cop says stop, stop. The cop says don't run. Don't. Well, I have my rights. I know what my rights are. My answer to that is your rights are for the courtroom, not for the street where the cop is interacting with you. Aren't we always better served doing what the cop says doing and then battle it out in court later if you need to? Unless the cop is telling you, you must answer my questions, yeah, I think you're right. Because generally speaking, uh, the, the place to litigate these things is in court and not really on the roadside. And I would tell my kids the same thing. All right, again, Philip Holloway, uh, the podcast, and I look forward to checking this out, Sworn, True uh, Crime. What do you guys do with this? True, uh, Sworn is a, basically an effort here to sort of bring the listener um, into maybe the world that I live in on a daily basis, the real criminal justice system, not what you see on TV or hear about on the radio or on Netflix. It, it brings the listener into the real world uh, criminal justice, and we look at, at, at all the issues that practitioners face on a daily basis that the public may not be aware of. Uh, Philip Holloway, we'll look for that. We'll thank you for your time this morning. We'll listen for you on our sister station, WSB in Atlanta. Philip Holloway, thanks for your time this morning. Thanks so much. Have a good day.